Thank you, Brother Nathan, for that very kind words of welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have this afternoon to spend time together as family of God's people. That's what binds us together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we may not know one another personally, but we know we, we belong to the same family because we have the same father. And that's what allows us to have even a very, at times, difficult conversation as a family, and we don't leave the table. So let me begin to, uh, this time by sharing with you a story. It was about 25 years ago, and at that time I was a PhD student, but also a church planning pastor. So you could just imagine how my schedule each day was very packed and busy. And I was also father of two young children. Uh, and one evening I happened to be at home and having dinner with my family when my son, who was at that time around four years old, looked at me and said this, Dad, I think you should get yourself a new job. <laughs> Ouch. So I asked him, so Nathaniel, what new job should I get? And apparently he's been thinking about this for a while because he had an answer right away. He said, garbage man, Dad. And I said, why a garbage man? And he replied, because garbage man works only on Wednesdays. <laughs> you see, as a four-year-old boy, that's what he saw. He saw that only on Wednesdays, this green truck came to our street. And he must have thought to himself, wouldn't it be great if my busy dad had that job? And as a four-year-old boy, what he saw was true. But then, as you know, what he did not know was that the same gentleman would go to other streets on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. I want to submit to you this afternoon that seeing the fuller picture, more complete picture, is not a challenge only for a four-year-old boy. But even us adults, partly because of our social location, partly because of our family cultural backgrounds, we all have our blind spots. You know, we're not omniscient. We worship omniscient God, but we're not that. And that means we all have a partial picture of certain things. And one of the things that I hope for and pray for this afternoon, through this presentation, through your table conversation, and through panel, that somehow the God Spirit would allow you to see the more complete and a fuller picture of what's happening in this area of a multiracial, multicultural, multiethnic realities in our mission field and how that should inform our way of thinking about who we are called to be and who we are called to do. So what I would like to do next 40 minutes or so is a, I try to give you a big picture of what is happening in this area of a racial, cultural, ethnic diversity, and what does that mean for the church like Christ Community Church with multiple campuses? As you think about your calling from the Lord, that you're called to be the gospel community that witnesses Christ's power and his truth and, and, and bring good news to these communities. Uh, so I would like to break down in three parts briefly. One is a missiological kind of a, a, a study of the situation. Second is a biblical and third theological. 
and I hope to wrap it all up in about 40 minutes. So I, I was given a schedule that said I should end by 4.51, and I kind of looked at him and said, what's that one part? <laughs> so something about the culture of the church, right? <laughs> all right, so... Um, The area that I studied as a PhD student was a sociology. And many of the sociologists have been talking about how profoundly North America is changing in so many ways, including demographically. We were told at that time, year 2050 would be a very critical time, they said, because it's around then the United States as a society will become so multiracial that there will not be a singular numerical majority race group in the United States. Or to put it differently, around 2050, Anglo-Americans will no longer be the numerical majority. Well, you know what? The sociologists recently pulled that date up. Now they say it will be around 2040. And not only that, for those who are 18 and younger, that reality is already here. That is our mission field. But then the, as the diversity of different groups, cultural groups, ethnic groups, and racial groups are increasing, the unfortunate accompaniment is that also the conflict, the tension among these different racial ethnic groups are increasing. I mean, you know that well. You just turn on TV or go to social media there's a more and more signs of the turbulence that is there. The racial tensions, racial in injustice, inequality. In fact, the late Dr. Billy, Billy Graham, before he passed on, one of the interviews he gave, he said this, he's been to every state in the United States to preach and teach, and he identified that among the many issues that our nation is facing, the racial conflict and racism as some of the biggest challenges that our society and the church are facing. So as we think about mission field, we have to look at those two things. On the one hand, there is increasing diversity, and on the other hand, there is increasing conflict among different people groups. How might gospel of Jesus Christ speak into that reality, or can it speak at all? Now, right after seminary, I spent seven years doing campus ministry with an organization called InnoVarsity Christian Fellowship. And uh, during the last 20 years or so, I've spent a number of those years as a board member of InnoVarsity Christian Fellowship. So I got to learn uh, quite a bit about how this organization called InnoVarsity Christian Fellowship is doing its campus ministry, particularly in light of this cultural diversity and racial tensions. Currently, InnoVarsity as an organization is experiencing God's bountiful grace in seeing the highest number of young people coming to know Christ through its evangelistic ministries. Now, that should surprise some of us because all the time we read from news media how today's young people are not interested in Christianity, organized religions, but what do you know? We are having more people coming into 
God's kingdom through their ministry than any other time. So that raises some questions. But then secondly, University Christian Fellowship today, in terms of the regular participants of students, today more than half of the students who are actively involved in university ministry are non-whites. So that's the other thing. Remember earlier I said 18 and younger already the non-whites make up the majority and here is a campus ministry group that is really trying to see the whole, everyone on campus as a, as, a, as, a, as a part of the mission field. But then third thing that we noticed is that up to 20% of people who are regularly coming to university are actually non-Christians. They are coming to explore Christianity. So then what is going on? Well, a couple of insights that, that we as a board members had to learn from this is this. Generations ago, or generation ago, for instance, when I was in seminary during the 1980s, we were told that if you want your church to grow fast, then you think about adopting what's called homogeneous unit principle. And that means if you're part of the church or if you're targeting a particular group that come from same background, it would promote the church to grow most rapidly. But then the assumption behind that is if you have a diversity in your church, that could actually prevent your church from growing as rapidly. Maybe in the 20th century, that might have been a fairly accurate uh, way of reading how people felt comfort about their culture and other cultures. But I think that assumption about homogeneous unit principle is now being challenged among the younger generations. In fact, it's interesting, my, my two children who are now young adults, they grew up in a Korean immigrant church, which is a mono-ethnic church, and then we attended, when they were growing up, predominantly white congregation, which is also monocultural. And now, they're young adults, they are free to choose which church they would like to be part of, and they both chose a multiracial congregation in the city of Chicago. Well, they both live in the Chicago, and my wife and I, we live in a suburb. And it was really interesting, so I asked both of them, so why are you choosing this congregation? Because, and one of the ways that they expressed was for their generation, going to be part of this multiracial congregation was a, something they would yearn for and hunger for. Yes, its messiness is there, but I would rather be there. So today, my wife and I drive down from northern suburb, going into the city because we so desire to worship with our young adult children. And that church is primarily 20s and 30s but it's a thriving young congregation. But what's very evident is that it brings a diversity into the church and try to work out how do we do church together as God's people. So that's a missiological something that I want to propose to you. Our mission field is changing. In the past, we shied away from embracing diversity because we thought that would distract us from ministry of evangelism. But I want to just raise this possibility. Is it possible that God is actually now challenging God's people to embrace diversity in our church and that will not in any way negate the effectiveness of evangelism? In fact, we are at a time when that might 
even further facilitate the work of evangelism. So I just cited the uh, university's recent experiences as a case study to you. Now, briefly, I want to think about the biblical reflections on this cultural diversity and uh, the racial reconciliation calling. So about three years ago, then president of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. David Dockery, commissioned a team of faculty members to produce a biblical reflection on the ministry of racial reconciliation. And he did this partly because today's political discourse is such that it is pitting groups against each other. And if we, we as a God's people do not have a clearly stated gospel-centered position on this, the voices and discourses from outside the church will spill into the church and people will be just speaking very softly, but he was so afraid that outside discourse will shape how we think about and how we relate to one another. So we did. And if you would like, I, I, I would love to send that document to you. It's about eight pages. But one of the things that the document did was it went through some significant passages in the Bible that looks at how God's people should relate to those who come from very different cultural, ethnic backgrounds. And, and I want to particularly uh, bring to your attention uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And, and I don't know if you have access to your Bible, but let me uh, read this passage on your behalf. Now, as some of you may know, Book of Ephesians is one of those rich books in the Bible that teaches us about what the church is. What is its nature? What is its mission? But before getting to practical discussion about ministry, Apostle Paul, as he often does, gives a very rich doctrinal teaching first. So in Ephesians chapter 2, he basically unveils what is the gospel and let me read from verse 8, because here he's summarizing what the gospel is. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace alone. And then comes verse 11. Therefore, because this is true of the gospel, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ, himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And then final verse. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. On our campus, I'm actively engaged in ministry that promotes reconciliation of the gospel, reconciliation through the gospel. And some of my students tell me, you know, Dr. Cha, I mean, it's good and nice that you're working on that. And, and because, you know, it's like you have that passion and you need to continue to raise your voice about our need for reconciliation in today's world. Now, what they don't tell me is what they mean is that it's so nice that you're doing that, but, you know, racial reconciliation or any form of reconciliation, it's like extracurricular activity for the few who are interested in it. But the statement that, that our committee came up using this passage I just read, and others, we made an argument, no, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which according to today's passage says, when Jesus died on the cross, he not only reconciled us to God above vertically, but that same act of his sacrificial death broke down the walls of hostility horizontally so that the Jews and Gentiles are no longer enemies as God and we are no longer enemies. But as God is our Father now, now Jews and Gentiles, you are brothers and sisters belonging to the same household. It's Apostle Paul's way of saying, hey folks, you get to choose who your friends are going to be, but you don't get to choose who your brothers and sisters are going to be. That's a given now live into that reality is what this passage is speaking. One New Testament theologian called this passage what he teaches a double reconciliation. That Christ's act of sacrificial death caused vertical relationship to be repaired and reconciled as well as horizontal. How do we live that truth out in today's broken, divided world. You know, our world wants some experience of unity, harmony, but how they talk about diversity and how to manage it is using the language of tolerance, right? Let's just tolerate one another. That is about the highest goal that, that we can set as a secular, uh, secular organizations and society. However, what what the scriptures teach us is that the gospel of Jesus Christ offer something far, far more than tolerance. It is the reconciliation. Especially in today's mission field where there's such a division and conflict, I believe this double reconciliation needs to be not only proclaimed, but it needs to be demonstrated among God's people. And what a powerful countercultural witnessing that would be. And then finally, a brief theological reflections. I could use many different resources, but what I would like to just present to you as a resource 
It comes from a, a book written by a theologian named Miroslav Volf. He's a Croatian-American theologian who used to teach at Fuller Seminary. Now he's at Yale. And he wrote a very influential book many years ago called Exclusion and Embrace. And when it first came out, it was a book of the year for Christianity Today. It's a little dense book, but the idea that he's presenting in this book is something we need to uh, think about carefully. He says this, when you and I become Christian, born again, when you and I become new creation in Christ and Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, one of the first changes that happen or should happen is now how you related to your own culture begins to shift. Before, you were almost blindly loyal to your own culture or your own ethnic group, your own racial group. But now that the work of the Holy Spirit is doing, renewing your mind, you begin to see certainly there are certain things about their culture, your culture that is redemptive, that is good, that is biblically affirmable. But then when you carefully examine your own culture and my own culture, there are some things in my culture that is just dysfunctional, that is sinful, and even idolatrous. Well, Miroslav Volf says, the Holy Spirit that comes into you now gives you a new lens to look at your own culture and you begin to create something of a critical distance between yourself and your culture. Not rejecting it, but being able to discern. And that creates a certain space in each of us, a room to now embrace some other cultures. What is good in other cultures? And how we do that is what he called the practice of embracing others. So imagine this, in your small group, in your church, there are these brothers and sisters who love the Lord and who are studying the scriptures, but who come from different cultural backgrounds, who comes from different ethnic groups, different racial groups, or social economic class. And what you see in them is something that is admirable, something you don't have yet. But there are certain things in these brothers and sisters that is redemptive and very wholesome and attractive. So what he does, says, is that when we embrace others, it requires two steps. The first step is to open your arm like this. I mean, how do you embrace others if you don't open your arm? first, right? So opening arm is the first step. And he says that when we open our arms like this to embrace others, it signifies two postures. One is a humility that says, you know, I by myself or our people group by ourselves are incomplete. I see something in you that I do not have and you will make me more complete, uh, us more complete. That humility. And then secondly, this open arm posture also connotes that you're willing to take a risk. Think about that. You know, this posture is not a self-protecting posture. You could get hurt. But you're willing to take that risk 
of having the other person in your life. So that's first act is opening your arm. But then second act, he said, is now lovingly bring your arm around that person, but in such a way that you're not giving that person what he called the oppressive bear hug of assimilation. Right? An oppressive bear hug of assimilation. That basically says, unless you become just like me, I cannot have you in my circle of life. Right? Unless you are rooting for the same sports team that I will root for, whether it be Kansas University or Kansas State University. Unless you vote for the same political party as I do. Unless you worship the way I prefer. Unless you become like me, I cannot have you in my life. Well, I think uh, Wolf rightly calls that the oppressive hug of assimilation. But instead, when you embrace others in such a way that your relationship with that person is beginning to change who you are and how you think, how you feel. That is the kind of embracing he's talking about. Now, most of you who are married here, you know exactly what he's talking about because often it is that marriage relationship of embracing the other person that brings profound change to you. How you think, how you feel, and so forth. And then finally, Wolf says, as we learn to embrace others in our Christian fellowship, we gradually become what he called kingdom personality, a kingdom person. So I am a Korean-American Christian who grew up in a Korean immigrant church. That's all I knew. But then during my seminary years and during my university years and now teaching at a Divinity School that has 35% or so students and faculty coming from all over the world. Interacting with them, learning from them, developing relationship with them have caused me to grow, to be beyond Korean-American Christian. I still have that Korean-American heritage in me that is important to me, but I have become far more kingdom person. So when I hear stories of my African-American brothers going through an anguishing time, I don't just hear it as a story, but it begins to impact me so viscerally. It's as if my own family member is really, really hurting. Kingdom person. I wonder one of the benefits of being part of a, a diverse, culturally diverse and uh, ethnically diverse congregation is that you and I have opportunity to engage in what I might call more horizontal dimension of a sanctification process. We all know the vertical one. That is, when we become a Christian, Holy Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to become more like our God above. That's a godliness that we grow in, and we call that a sanctification. But I think what Miroslav Volf is talking about is that there is also horizontal dimension of our transformation. That at one point, I was a very, very parochial ethnic person, but because of my life with God's people that is so diverse, 
I become more and more of a kingdom person. Because, you know, when we go to heaven, when the new Jerusalem comes, I will not be just a Korean-American Christian. I'll be part of God's family, enjoying the full diversity of everyone from different tribes, different tongues, who are now part of that worship community. That is my future. Yes, God's kingdom was, will fully come then, but Scripture teaches it is also already here. How do we foretaste the goodness of the diversity of God's kingdom here and now, even though it's not full in a full sense, but foretaste that and waiting for that full thing to come later? There's a lot more theological reflections that we can do, but I'm going to leave it at that and then end my presentation with this story because I want to bring it all together now. So our Divinity School is located in a very affluent part of the northern suburb of Chicago called Deerfield. And about two miles from our uh, campus is a church called Christ Church, and it's in a very affluent community called Lake Forest. It's a beautiful church. It's a growing church. It is proclaiming the gospel faithfully. Um, but it is a church that is located in a lake forest. And until about 10 years ago, most of the church members came from that lake forest and that particular um, uh, community. Uh, so it was predominantly white and a very wealthy uh, very mission-minded people, but that's what the church was. And then about 10 years ago, when a new pastor came, and he was a uh, Trinity classmate of mine, he and the elder board began to think about their mission field a little differently. And let's not think about just Lake Forest, but what if we draw a big circle that uses 10-mile radius from our church. And think of that 10-mile radius around our church as our mission field. And yes, that will include Lake Forest and other similar uh, wealthy communities like Highland Park and Deerfield and so forth, but it would also include two under-resourced communities that is only 10, 15 minutes away from the church but it is there. Well, so they've been really uh, praying and, and thinking about how do we then, as a church that's located in Lake Forest, be the law, uh, light and salt in this 10-mile radius? And they begin to intentionally study who are within that 10-mile radius. How do we reach out to them with the gospel? How do we serve particularly those who are in need? And that's been their journey during the last 10 years or so. Now, today, if you went to Christchurch Lake Forest, they have three services. Their beautiful sanctuary will be closed. Because once a year, they have what they call Serve Your, Church Sun uh, Serve Your City Sunday. And what they have done is today, they do not have an actual corporate worship but they have a 12 service projects that they have already prepared where people sign up to participate 
And so once a year, they worship the Lord by being in the communities and serving and meeting actual needs of a community. So some members went to nursing homes and led worship service. Some members came together and put together a food care package for many families that go hungry regularly. Some groups went up to the, the abandoned houses that were purchased and they are rehabbing it so that they could provide affordable housing for Christian families in those under-resourced communities. Some went to the public schools and parks to paint and beautify that space. Ten-mile radius. Because there was enough of a need and diversity there, the church was compelled to then think creatively about how do we serve this ten-mile radius community. The point of today's conversation is not to make your church or any church diverse. That's not our goal. But I believe it is calling of our God to be Christ's witness in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And I'm challenging all of us to think about what our Jerusalem is might be. We don't even have to use 10-mile radius. If you use a 2-mile or 5-mile radius around your church, who are living there? Who are moving in? What might be some of their needs that are not being met that your congregation can meet in the name of Jesus? Those are the things that I want us to think about. So, I think this is time for your, your table conversation. And I have uh, brought together three questions. And uh, they're going to be on the screen. So within a five to 10 mile radius from your church campus, what significant people groups dwell there? What new people groups have moved into this area and so forth? And I think intentionally we've encouraged you to sit next to those who are from the same campus. So we just want you to have this conversation. Now, some tables have a staff person there to guide this conversation, but if that's not the case with your table, would someone just, just, uh, the, just start the conversation with the first question? And I would recommend for a second uh, question, just choose one people group. I mean, we don't have a lot of time, but this is an exercise that I hope would activate your imagination in trying to figure out who are the people groups who are living somewhat closely to our church. And, and then just to have a start conversation about what might be uh, a way that your church can reach out to these uh, uh, people groups. And then finally, what might be some of the costs and challenges as well as benefits that might be gained by reaching out to, intentionally reaching out to these people groups. So we're gonna go into a table conversation with that, and uh, I, I pray and hope that it'll be a, a conversation that will really energize you and then also activate your imagination, and then I'll call us back at, uh, after about 15, 20 minutes. So, so please uh, turn to one another, and uh, if you don't know each other, please, uh, this would be a good time for you to just say hello and exchange your names and then uh, look at these questions. <laughs>